are listening to the Paranormal Chronicles radio show. Here is your host, paranormal researcher and author of the best-selling A Most Haunted House, Gavin Lee Davis. Welcome, my name is JL Davis, founder of ParanormalChronicles.com and author of the best-selling true account that is shocking the world. Dare you read Haunted Horror of Haverford West Alone in Bed at Night. Thank you for joining us on our ongoing journey into the unknown as we broadcast to you from beautiful Pembrokeshire, West Wales. The Paranormal Chronicles podcast is brought to you by sickf-books.com. Visit www.sickf-books.com today and explore a world of the paranormal, the unknown and the mysterious. So visit www.sickf-books.com books.com today if you're new to the series and make sure you follow as all our followers are put into a monthly prize draw for one lucky follower to win a paranormal book and we also have a quarterly prize where we have an amazon voucher up for grabs at the end of this very show we will announce our latest monthly winner so followers stay tuned follow and explore our incredible archive for the very best paranormal researchers bigfoot ghost ufo and demon witness accounts and on location reports the paranormal chronicles podcast offers you the very best in paranormal and spiritual information so follow download and listen if you have a theory experience or research to share then find us on instagram or facebook as the paranormal chronicles tweet at paracron on tonight's show how did living in a haunted house change one man's life forever what effect did seeing an incredibly detailed ufo encounter have on his life what entities exist outside our field of visibility is Bigfoot, ghosts, UFOs and other beings operating on another frequency? What paranormal techniques and equipment should you be using for investigations and what not to eat? This is an interview you do not want to miss. Download and share to all your paranormal friends. Yes, it is that good. My guest is Kieran Woodhouse, the author of the Must Read An Introduction to Paranormal Investigation and host of the Paranormal Paradigm podcast. Kieran offers valuable experience and insight into the paranormal world and his talks at conventions are fast becoming the hot topic talk of the community. This interview will change your perception of the paranormal world forever. On with the show. Our listeners are going to love this, so let's get straight into it. You grew up in a haunted home, so let's tell our listeners what happened there and how did those experiences set you up for your paranormal journey? I did grow up in a haunted house. It was The first one we lived in was a flat. It was like a masonette, so we lived on the top floor and there was an elderly couple that lived below us. Go up a car, in, into the corridor, past their front door, up into our front door and then up the stairs. So they had no access to those stairs. It was only us that would be able to go up those stairs. And we used to have a child gate at the top of the stairs for me and my brother for safety reasons. If my mum ever forgot to lock that child gate, it would bang several times a night just to tell her you need to come and lock the child gate. So that was quite an interesting um, occurrence because there was no draft, you know, looking back at it. There were no windows in, in this hallway on this staircase. It was just solid brick wall all around it. So that I can't imagine what it would have been that would have made it slam. We also used to go out and come back regularly to find that the the living room furniture had rearranged itself in as much as the ornaments had moved around the living room. So back when my mum's nan was alive, so my great nan, she would always come round and tell my mum that she she was decorating the room incorrectly and she should do it like this. They um, they used to get into arguments quite frequently. And when she left, my mum would put it back to how she wanted it, and and that would be it. Whenever we would come back, if we'd been out for a meal or out 
to see relatives, we'd come back to find that the, the ornaments were exactly how my great nan would like them. And I remember, you know, distinctly at about five or six years old, seeing my mum shouting into thin air, stop doing this, just leave my ornaments alone. And what was interesting as a child was to see the, you know, my mum, who I was only ever used to really shouting at me, shouting at this invisible force, this thing that I was aware was able to move things around the room and to slam the child gate and things like that. So it really piqued my interest because it really at a young age got me thinking that there were things that I can't see. I can't see these things, but they're, they're having an effect on my life, on my world. We then moved house, only not far up the road really, less than a mile, um, but we moved into a proper house. And we didn't know at the time, but when all of our family came around to, to see the house, we realised that my granddad, my dad's dad, was born in that very house. And we didn't know that. And that was a right. huge shock to us. And my granddad just cool as you like, walked through the door and went, Adrian, which is my dad, Adrian, I bet you didn't know this, but I was born in this house. And we all thought he was joking, but it, you know, it turns out it was absolutely true. And what that's led to is hauntings by my dad's family now. So we've swapped sides and we don't really get anything. Um, I mean, I don't live there anymore, but we didn't and they don't get anything now from my mum's side of the family. And she believes it's because she doesn't want to be stepping on the toes of my dad's side of the family. And we quite often have orbs, physical size of a football sized orbs moving through the house we get the smell of my dad's auntie which was a distinct smell because she was a dinner lady at school and so she used to smell of chip grease and oh, cheap perfume yeah. lovely it's a, <laughs> and it's a very distinct smell and you can walk downstairs some mornings and you think ah beryl's been here then and you know you just call out hello beryl we have her ornaments that we took from her house after she died you know families kind of distribute ornaments so they don't get taken by the council and stuff and they quite often move on their own accord across the coffee table things have constantly surrounded me in terms of the paranormal it got me thinking from a very young age but as i always say people get older they have to get a job they end up getting a girlfriend or a boyfriend and life takes over and you can't really find time for your passion because you're too busy earning a wage and it happens to far too many people who you know artistic people who've got fantastic talents they just don't have time or money to be able to to express these talents to the world and that happened with myself so I kind of lost all passion and all interest in in, in this field as I went out into the big wide world I had a really bad rugby accident damaged my knee and I was in a wheelchair for three months so I had nothing better to do than to watch YouTube and get fat I started watching things like ancient aliens and things like that and one thing led to another and my passion was reignited and that kind of brings me up to where we are now really but you never felt threatened by the presences or the activity in the house i take it never never ever i mean i was really i was i was too young thinking about you know when we lived in the flat we moved out when i was eight or nine so i, I do remember i remember lying on the living room floor coloring in and hearing the child gate slam asking my mum what's that and she would just say oh it's just it's just my nan telling me i've left it open again so i think i was too young to really know what was going on and then when we moved house i lived in in that house up until about five years ago or so so you know mid-20s and I never ever felt threatened it was always downstairs there was never anything upstairs it was always the kitchen area the living room area I mean it's a tiny council semi-detached you know two up two down so there wasn't a lot of rooms but it did tend to be more focused downstairs where the smells were and the ornaments would move and lately my mum has actually seen a man in the garden several oh. times but she only ever sees the back of him. He's always facing away from her. And she can't, she doesn't know why. She doesn't know who he is. She, she can describe what he's wearing from the back. Um, but she doesn't know who he is. So that, so there is still activity ongoing. Does uh, he look like a modern man or is he someone? No, so he's got, a, 
He's got a flat cap on. Looks like he's wearing a waistcoat with, you know, lungs. I guess it, to, to describe it to, to, to the listeners, it would be like a Peaky Blinders type look, you know. Yeah. Um, so the flat cap, the the, the, the waistcoat, the, the long the long sleeves. The, um, and she, she can never see him really from knees down. So the first time she saw him, she was ironing in the kitchen and she you get a feeling that something's watching you. So she looked out the kitchen window, which goes into the back garden, and she could just see shoulders and a head in front of the window looking down the garden she was like well that's strange so she went outside to see who it was what he wanted and there was no one there and then about two or three weeks later she was mowing the lawn and she felt like again something was watching so she turned around and this time she's looking up the garden so she's looking at the kitchen window and to the side of the house is the gate that goes up the side of the house and he was stood in front of the gate looking up the side of the house towards the, the main road and again just the back of him but his legs kind of cut off from the knees now what i find interesting is there was a guy who lived there before us uh, an elderly couple and they were disabled and the one guy only had one leg oh and, and i often wonder and I've, I've i've discussed this with my mom is is the, is the person that she's seeing the guy that that lived there this old guy um and that would explain the the lack of legs fascinating one of the theories that i've been very keen on and have written about in my own books is that entities or spirits are not necessarily spirits or ghosts in that respect but we are having a glimpse back in time so that person is in his own time in his space and maybe he's standing on a part of the garden that no longer exists maybe it was lower maybe there was a path there those two times our time and his time just breeze past each other for a few seconds so that your mum could see him in his time and he wouldn't have been aware of it but maybe he is it's the theory i think was presented in the others the movie the others where you you could in essence haunt yourself Uh, so that's fascinating absolutely amazing there was a program you know synchronicity i'm a big believer in synchronicity and what you just explained there is a theory that i'm currently working on in my own mind and i've I've proposed it to a few of the, the groups that i've spoken to there was a program on bbc i think you can find it on the iplayer it's called the living and the dead and it has this exact theory whereby there are there's a guy who lives a couple of hundred years ago on a farm and he feels that he's he go, he's going mad everyone thinks he's going crazy because he's seen things that you know that aren't there it then turns out that it's his relative who's living in our time who's gone back to investigate her family's history and what's happening is the timelines are crossing and they both think that they're ghosts they both think that they're being haunted by the other but in fact they're both just living in their own timeline and that's the theory that i'm currently working on at the moment because if time isn't linear which i don't think it is it would be extremely possible that when you're sat doing a spirit board talking to somebody you're actually talking to somebody who's conducting a spirit board for 100 years ago in their own timeline or maybe 100 years in the future and you're the ghost exactly and i love that theory because as you said time is a man-made concept space is real a great example of this is uh one of our listeners michael from preston he'll be listening to this and uh, he shared a story with me he woke up one night because he could hear someone in the bathroom like somebody had knocked a glass yeah. and he does, he has a glass by the side of the sink that he keeps his toothpaste in and his toothbrush and he was like what's going on what's going on so he got up and for a brief second as he turned the light on he was convinced he saw himself brushing his teeth wow so in essence, if we use that theory we're discussing there, he is haunting himself. So tonight, hypothetically, somebody could hear some footsteps 
going up and down the stairs thinking oh my gosh is an intruder a burglar or a ghost or something worse but in fact it was them yesterday or an hour ago or tomorrow or 10 years in the future and there is this theory that we could in essence haunt ourselves that's fantastic I've got a big, great grin on my face. I love it. Yeah. So, Michael from Preston, if you're listening tonight, uh, yeah, thank you very much for that story. It's fascinating. And I think with the paranormal, to take a quote from Roddy Piper, the wrestler, just when you think you've got all the answers, I go and change the questions. And, And that's the great thing about the paranormal. There's not a person alive that understands the intricacies of time, space, the universe, and the human mind. And everything is a wonderful possibility. So you also, this is fantastic as well, because this is quite rare, but you also had a UFO encounter. Could you tell us more about your experience and how this affected you? Yeah, I mean, well, this is when I talk about synchronicity, that this was really the gateway that's led me to where I am now. So it, not long after I'd, you know, I had my knee operation, so I was out of action for a year or so in terms of, of playing sports. But I eventually got back into it, and me and my brother used to go training. We, we would train um, it's a place called Bromsgrove, so it was about 10 miles or so away from where we lived. And coming back the one night, we would travel over country lanes, and the country lane would run perpendicular with the uh, M5. And you always knew the M5 was there. It was probably separated by half a mile or so of of farmland but you knew it was there because sometimes you'd see the, the the lights through the break of the trees or you could hear the, the traffic or you know what the m5 is like you would also hear the roadworks constant roadworks and um, so you knew you knew the motorway was there but this one evening as we were as we were climbing up this country hill we saw a big bright light out the corner of our eyes and we instantly knew that's that's not the motorway you know that's something else and i, I originally thought search helicopter someone's gone missing or you know something like that so as we keep climbing and climbing and we get to the top of this, this place is called Romsley. So for anyone that's listening in the UK, if, you, if you're aware of a place called Romsley um, or if you want to Google it, you can see what it looks like. As we get to the top, the, the trees clear and you can see for miles. And ironically, it's a great place that people go to to spot UFOs because it's such a big open space. You can see to the other side of Birmingham. It's a great location. As we got to the top, um, this craft became visible. And it was around about a thousand feet away and a thousand feet up. So it really wasn't that far at all. And I originally asked my brother, you know, that looks tri- it looks uh, rectangular. But it wasn't until our eyes adjusted and we began to realise, actually, you know, it's triangular. And the only reason we could tell that, because it was a, a dark night, was the um, it was basically blocking out the sky. So you couldn't see the stars because of the shape of this thing. And it had two bright lights on each back corner. Nothing in the middle, nothing at the front, just on each back corner. And it was about the size, it was difficult to tell, but it was about the size of half a football pitch. And it was wow. cruising at about, I don't, I don't know how slow, because if I'd have carried on driving at you know, 30, 40 miles an hour, I would have left it well behind. It was literally just cruising really slowly. And what scared us the most was the silence. So you can hear a plane at you know 20,000 feet. You can hear a police helicopter a few miles away. We could not hear a single thing. And this road is a busy road. You know, just put the country pubs up and down it and people are often travelling even at, you know, quarter to ten or whatever it was that we were there. You would always have people coming up and down the road. Interestingly, we had no one. And it was almost like it was just us and this thing. And I turned my engine off. We had the hazards. My window was down and we couldn't hear a thing. And I'm not ashamed to admit that we both sat there crying, crying our eyes out. Um, don't know why um, to this day you know nothing 
really happened, nothing untoward that should have made us cry. But um, I think it was this kind of the unknowing of, you know, what the hell is this thing that's, that's, that's right there? You know, you can't hear anything. I don't know what it is. And it, it was petrifying. And we have, so eventually it kind of got behind the trees. We lost it and we, we made our way back home. It was like a five minute journey to get home. By the time we got home, we were still visibly shaken up. And my mum asked, you know, what's the matter? What's happened? And I told them. Now, my brother's not really into this kind of thing. It's not his bag. Um, so when I told them, I, I got this look from my mum as if to say, yeah, whatever. And my brother said, no, no, I'm telling you now. You know, we've just seen this thing. And we don't know what the hell it was, but we've just seen it. And uh, So that was really that was great for me because I had this, the backup of my brother and, you know, as soon as he told my mum, you could see her kind of go, Oh, right. Okay. Well, maybe there was something then. Yeah. Um, so I reported this obviously the next day and I went to a guy called Antonio Paris, who was, a, I don't know if he's still going, but he was a guy who, an investigator from the U S he put me in touch with a guy called Lawrence McNeil, who operates in Scotland. He's the UK investigator. And we then spent the next month or so back and forth over Skype, interviewing, taking drawings from me and my brother, uh, basically making a, a, a case for this thing. And, um, when we talk about synchronicity, you know, coincidence and things like that, there was the one evening where I said to this guy, I said, look, I can't hang around because I'm going, I've got to go out. I've got tickets for a lecture. And he said, well, that's fine. I've got to go out as well. We'll make it quick. After about 15, 20 minutes, we were wrapping it up. And I said, so where is it you're going? Anywhere nice? And he said, oh, I'm, I'm going to watch a lecture on 9-11. And I said, oh, I'm going to watch a lecture on 9-11. I mean, this guy lives in Scotland. And I said, that's interesting. You know, what, what a coincidence. I said, where is it? He said, well, actually, my sister's married to a guy from Birmingham, so we're going to Birmingham UFO Group to watch oh, this wow. lecture. And I said, wow. Yeah, that was, that was my reaction. So less than one hour later, I was stood at the bar with this guy having a pint. Um, and, and you know, I, I was, even now I'm, I'm speechless about how that could have happened. And um, to me, that's the universe kind of telling you, right, you're on the right path. Yeah. Now, Boothog have played a big part for me because I then realised, oh, I've got this group just around the corner. Um, so I used to go there, watch watch speakers. I've, I've become really good friends with, with the um, with the chairman, and that's where I gave my first presentation on the paranormal, and it's kind of boosted me to where I am now. So it's just how this synchronicity, time after time after time, plays a part in pushing you down this path. And every time you question, am I doing the right thing? Should I maybe veer off a little bit? It goes, oh no, keep stay where you are, keep doing what you're doing. Um, and I, I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like this, but it, it, every time it happens, I just kind of you know look up to the sky and just think, well, you know, thanks, <laughs> thanks for that. And um, I know that I'm doing the right thing. Most definitely, and I can appreciate that synchronicity in life and you know not only am i an author but i work as a publicist with many other authors and every time i get introduced to a new author it's like they have the experience or the guidance to help me with the next phase of my life and we have more than just a working relationship they actually become a huge part of my life you know they give me advice one of them was telling me about spirit attachments and i had my own spirit attachment which i'll talk about at a later date and it's and it's remarkable and all these little things happen in life it just makes you think maybe we are being guided by some huge unseen force and it goes back to what you were saying earlier at the start of the interview about when we are children everything is magical our power of suggestion is off the chart we believe in magic and star wars and the tough theory and father christmas <laughs> and then you fill or replace all of that with jobs money relationships health blah 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 and we forget that there is 
almost as mystical energy, this force, perhaps guiding us. We don't know where it comes from. We can only speculate. But in regards to the UFO, did other people see the UFO? Was did anybody get any evidence or pictures or? No. So that was that. That's the aspect that really disappointed me. So obviously, the first thing I did in the morning, besides reporting it was to look on the news sites to see if anyone had seen it. Because where it was, it was right over the farmhouses. You know, there were a collection of houses uh, along this road. And I thought, someone has to see this thing. The lights were so bright. It was such a big craft, but it was silent. Um, And the only thing I could find was about 15 years ago, I mean, I come from an area called Dudley. And um, there was a triangular craft spotted across Dudley by hundreds of people. And it was um, imaginatively nicknamed the Dudley Dorito. The Dudley a, Dorito, yes. Yeah, so it was a triangular craft. And that was the closest thing I could find to what we saw. Now, I think this thing had a light in the middle, so it was slightly different. But uh, nobody else that I know of, despite looking into it, saw the same thing that we saw on on that night and i've never said that it's aliens i've never admitted that it's aliens because i don't know it could be some government craft that i'm not aware of it could be a reverse engineered craft um i never admit that it was aliens but um whatever it was by the very definition it was an unidentified flying object um so it was a ufo unfortunately people think oh you you believe in aliens then and and they, they accredit the word ufo with aliens but not so if you see something in the sky and you don't know what it is it is an unidentified flying object um and that's what we saw and i don't know what it was i don't know where it went i've never seen one since but yeah, the, the Dudley Dorito. <laughs> well, this is going to blow your mind because this is exactly what we've been talking about. One of the guests on this very podcast, who I will hook you up with as soon okay. as we're done, right? His name is David J. Moore, and he wrote a book called Evolutionary Metaphors. As you were talking, I made a little note, right? right. And then you started talking about the Dudley Dorito. David saw it, and it wow. had okay. such a profound effect on him a philosophy lecturer but he wrote a book about it and has spent his life realizing and researching that the ufo mythology has always been here it's always been with us and we we present this through our tv shows through our radio shows through our comics through our video games because we know they're there and we are just trying to get to that level of understanding them and it was fascinating as soon as you said the dudley dorito i was like oh my gosh so what i'm gonna do after the show <laughs> I'm going to connect you to David J. Moore, and I think you guys need to talk because he is from Dudley. Well, again, there we go. To the listeners, that's synchronicity for you. That's how it works. It keeps pushing you onwards down the path. You can listen to this interview with Kira now, and then later you can listen to the one with David J. Moore, and you'll get like a more inclusive story. You'll get more, more information on that. We will be right back after these important messages. I've Never Met a Dead Person I Didn't Like is the extraordinary travels of a young, alone, and broke psychic in the highly anticipated new book from internationally renowned psychic, medium, medical intuitive, and best-selling author Sherry Dillard. Critics have described I've Never Met a Dead Person I Didn't Like as an engrossing memoir, an empowering story of how a broken girl came to accept her psychic gift, a refreshing and fun read. I've Never Met a Dead Person I Didn't Like is available through Amazon, Kindle, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold.
How far would you go to protect the children in your care? Nyla's Babies is the terrifying, chilling book from Jack Simonson, in which a young nanny battles an ancient demon for the souls of the twin babies in her care. Critics have heralded Nyla's Babies as an impressive and vivid imagined story, compelling and devilishly spooky, shocking and haunting. Nyla's Babies is available on Amazon, Kindle or wherever books are sold. Visit CosmicEgg-Books.com for more on Nyla's Babies. Sixth books will take you to other worlds, haunt you, open your mind and push you far beyond the veil of the unknown. Sixth Books is a leading publisher of books on the body, mind and spirit, the paranormal, consciousness, ancient wisdom and the afterlife. Explore today, learn today, open your mind today, read today. Visit sixth-books.com today. The world as you know it is about to change. Do you wish for more paranormal and spiritual content? The Paranormal Chronicles magazine is a free digital magazine crammed with the very best in paranormal and spiritual articles and features. No sign-up, no subscription, just free reading and knowledge for you. Read today at www.theparanormalchronicles.com forward slash magazine. Hi there, my name is Claire Waters and I would like to invite you on an incredible journey. I have written a book based on my personal experiences called Raising Faith a true story of raising a child psychic medium. It's my family's extraordinary experiences with our young daughter's ability to communicate with spirits and the inspirational lessons learned on our journey. Raising Faith is currently available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kindle, and wherever books are sold. Join me on this beautiful and incredible adventure. For more information on Raising Faith, visit my website, raisingfaith.co.uk, or my Facebook page, Raising Faith Book. See you there. The international chart-topping, haunted horror of Haverford West has been described as terrifyingly real, a must-read, shocking and chilling brilliance, genuinely worrying, utterly frightening, don't read before bed. Described as one of the spookiest writers out there, best-selling author G.L. Davies presents Haunted Horror of Haverford West. The true paranormal account that is shocking the world. Dare you enter? Dare you read? Haunted. Horror of Haverford West is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kindle, and wherever books are sold. Pray you never have to live there. Going forward a little bit, now you believe that paranormal investigating is becoming an expensive hobby thanks to groups inflating prices and in turn locations increasing their prices too. Do you believe this is now leading to trickery and fakery in an effort to keep people spending their hard-earned money on, on ghost hunting adventures and investigations? I don't think it's to keep them spending their hard-earned money. I think it's to keep the people involved earning money. Okay. Um, and I think there is a difference. But uh, to talk about how, you know, it, it's becoming expensive. So when I got back into this field, so after the UFO incident and things like that, um, I got back into this. I started re-watching programs such as Ghost, Ghost Hunters, Ghost Hunters International and all that stuff. So my wife brought me a birthday present to go on a ghost hunt and it was at Dudley Castle. 
So we went to Dudley Castle and had this ghost hunt with a group. I'm not going to name them, but they were one of the they're one of the big groups that, that are operating around the country. And um, you know, I was really excited, never been on one before. Turned up, didn't know what to expect, and I left extremely disappointed. And throughout the whole night, all that was happening was they had a resident medium with them. Now, I'm a big believer in mediums. I've got friends with with the ability. Um, and I'm not saying that this person was, was a fake or a sham or anything like that. But what she did do, and she did it very well, was she made you experience things on that night. She told you how to feel. She pointed you in the right direction. She told you what to see. She made sure you had a good time. And what I noticed was the people that were running the event were also doing the same thing. You know, creating noises where there weren't noise. And I don't mean they were, they were making the noise, but they were just saying, did anyone hear that? And, you know, there was nothing. There was nothing to be heard. Um, now, I also understand that people can hear things and that other people can't. I understand that concept. But I, 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 I truly believe that there was nothing really happening. And we had a few things happen and a few things that made me kind of, you know, go, wow, that, that was that was interesting. But on the whole, nothing really happened. So I left a little bit disappointed when I found out how much my wife had paid. I felt a little bit more disappointed. <laughs> yeah. um, and but I'd got the bug. I wanted to go again. So I chose a different group. We paid uh, the, the, the wife didn't come. She's not really into this kind of thing so i went along and i left feeling exactly the same and this happened four or five times before i finally found a group who did it how i wanted them to do it and that was to let you experience the night not to not to kind of subconsciously plant things into your head and how to feel and what to see they let you experience it they made notes of everything that you said you know if you said i feel that my heart is racing or i feel like my legs hurting they made notes and then at the end of the evening we had a big sit down and they said to you right remember when your leg was hurting there well, there was a guy who got crushed, so you could have been picking up on that. Yeah. And remember when you said this was happening there, what well, it could be related to this. And that was, in my mind, that's the right way to do it. So I went back with them and back with them, and that's who I'm part of now. So they eventually asked me to, They, I think, they basically said, look, you're coming to basically every event, so you might as well be part of the team. And um, so they, they took me on as part of their team. And as they say, the rest is history. Um but what it did was it opened my eyes to how the the, the two ways of, of, of paranormal investigating, there's the way that we did it and there was the way that these other groups were doing it. And I think it all stems from TV programs. And so if we look at TV programs, let's take Most Haunted, the most famous one. Um, I used to watch this when I was 10, 11 years old. Absolutely loved it. Thought it was brilliant. It was entertaining. And that's all it was. It was entertaining. Now, there are video after video on YouTube of these groups such as Ghost Hunters and Most Haunted faking things and, and, and making things happen, kicking buckets over, pulling on their own hoods, things like that. And that's what they have to do, in my opinion, in order to keep their viewing figures up. Yeah. So if they have a TV program, people watch these programs, they're 45 minutes long, and there's about 20 to 25 minutes worth of actual investigating going on. Because the first 10 minutes or so, they tell you about the location, the last 10 minutes or so, they talk about what they found, and you have this middle bit of about 20 minutes or whatever, where they're actually investigating. Now, they go to locations like we do, and they do six or seven hour hunts. And so what they're, what they're condensing into these 20 minute episodes is six to seven hours worth of footage. So when people watch it, they get this impression, wow, you know, that was active all night. It was constant. No, it wasn't. They've condensed six or seven hours of stuff into 20 minutes. You know, they could make the most boringest of nights seem really active. But if nothing happens 
and they have to make something happen, then they have to do so. Because if so, if I watch a program and I think, oh, this that was rubbish, I'm not going to watch that again, and the viewing figures drop, then they're out of a job. The producers are out of a job. The network don't have their Star TV program anymore. So they have to rely on keeping the viewers entertained. And the second that keeping people entertained becomes the forefront of their focus, and it takes the place of actually doing research and understanding that part of ghost hunting is trying not to fall asleep at one o'clock in the morning and, you know, making sure your belly doesn't rumble at two o'clock in the morning and disturb anyone else that's what ghost hunting is and as soon as you replace that with having to make sure that people are entertained and having to fake things then in my opinion you lose all reliability as an investigator and i'm not saying that they don't start out with the best of intentions i believe they all do but the second that they that these producers and that you know these tv shows get their hands on them it all becomes about entertainment now, slightly off topic, but um, you know Ron. We, we interviewed Ron on our, on our podcast, and he told us about how in Finding Bigfoot, the paradigm of the program by their producers was you can't find Bigfoot. Yeah. Because if you find Bigfoot, we don't have a program anymore. And that's basically what it is. It, it's, it's slightly different, but it's, it, what I'm trying to get across is how these producers control what is shown and what isn't shown on these TV shows. Now, unfortunately, what that's done is it's – it's trickled down into the amateur groups because these guys that come on our investigations come and they expect a most haunted style investigation. So they expect constant activity. And if someone hasn't been possessed in the first 10 minutes, or if they haven't seen a, a glass explode on the table after, after half hour, they're bored and they want to go home. And we've actually had people ask, can we go home? Cause you know, this isn't what we expected. And it's because they've watched these TV programs. And, you know, they're using equipment that they don't know why they're using it, what they're using it for, because they've seen Yvette Fielding use it on TV. They just go, oh, she's using it, so I'll go and spend £50 on it and don't really know what it is, but I'll just wave it around and shout shout at someone and ask them to come and talk to me. And they're just copying what's happening on TV. So that's had a negative impact. But it's also had a negative impact on the on these big groups that are dominating the market now because they're acting in a similar way. So they will charge guests to go with them to investigations, 60, 70, 80 pounds to go on some of these investigations. And we've done places that these groups do. So we know how much to pay. We know how much these locations charge. So we know how much we would charge our guests. And it's only ever the amount to cover the venue. You know, and if ever we have more guests come and we make a profit, then it just pays for our next event and so on. But these groups are charging so much, you know, to make a profit because they're a business. What it means is they have to make sure that their guests are entertained. Because if you forked out 70 or 80 pounds to go on an investigation and nothing happens, you're going to leave a bad review on TripAdvisor. You're going to tell all your mates not to come again. You're going to leave a comment on Facebook and they're going to lose business. They lose business, they lose their jobs, they don't make money anymore. So just like the TV programs are reliant on viewers, these guys are reliant on repeat guests. And if they don't get repeat guests, they lose the jobs. So again, when putting that focus in front of actual research, if that happens, you lose your reliability, you lose your credibility. Yeah. And that's happening across the country. But what it's doing is it means smaller groups like myself, and I'm sure you, you're aware of other groups, um, really on the ground level, the grassroots, they're finding it more and more difficult to get into places because these places are upping their prices because these groups can afford to pay these in, inflated prices. 
And it means that we can't go into these places anymore. Places we used to do regularly. Uh, there's a place called Draco Tunnels. And they used to charge, um, I think it was about, I'm not, you know, I'll, I'll say it, they used to charge about £300. Most Haunted went down there. They now charge 750 Yeah. How can, how can someone like us afford that now without putting the prices of the guests up? We can't. So we just don't go anymore. And it's a crying shame. And to give an example of how Most Haunted do it, I got married in a place called Hayden Hill House, and it's a Victorian house in the middle of a park. And when I got there, shouldn't have really, but it was about half hour before I said mm. I do, I pulled a woman to one side and said, do you do ghost hunts here? And yeah. um, she said, oh, God, no, categorically not. You know, that's not something we would do. And I said, all right, fine, fair enough. About three weeks later, I got back, uh, about three weeks after my honeymoon, I turned the TV on, I put really on to watch Most Haunted. Guess where they are? They're at Hayden Hill House at this place that categorically does not do ghost investigations. So you have to think, how much money did they throw at them to enable them to go and do it? Yeah. And it's a promotion as well. It's a publicity. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And and that's what's happening. And and, and that's what made me start, you know, have the idea of writing my book, uh, An Introduction to Paranormal Investigation, because it talked about the equipment that was being used. I wanted people to actually understand what it was, why we use it, whether it was good or bad, in my opinion. But I also wanted them to understand that ghost hunting isn't this thing that you see on TV. It isn't this thing that you'll get when you go with these these big franchised corporate groups. It's nothing like that. As I say, it's all about trying not to fall asleep. It's all about hearing one footstep out of four investigations. And even that might have been someone just going to the toilet. That's what ghost hunting is. And I wanted to get that across to people because I've I'm scared for the future of the field and I'm scared that these people that have been watching Most Haunted and as good as it was that it inspired people to go out and actually do stuff, I feel like it did it in the wrong way. And I'm scared that these people are going to be the future generation of ghost hunting and we're we're probably going to end up going backwards as an investigative field instead of going forward. Oh, yeah. Here, here on that, you know, nicely said, Kieran. I remember the first two or three series of Most Haunted and it was like, wow, this is great. And very little happened. And that's what made it good, because when something did happen, it was special. It yeah. meant something, whether it was a feeling, whether it was an orb like apparition or an orb like uh, activity or anything, anything that was happening became very special. And it's like, wow, you just get goosebumps. Yeah. And then, as you said, it became more and more about entertainment, which is fine, because that's all about the viewers, the sponsors, the viewers. That's what keeps the series ticking. And before you knew it, people were being pulled downstairs. And it became a regular occurrence that production staff, producers, former members of the team were coming out and saying, you know what, guys, yeah, we faked it. We did this. We did that. And it came a bit of a joke in yeah. a lot of respects. It was like, oh, what are they going to do now? I'm a huge wrestling fan. But some people said that Most Haunted was, was more fake than professional <laughs> wrestling. Right? And whereas those first couple of series it was fantastic you know and it inspired me it motivated me like a lot of people listening but unfortunately anybody associated with most haunted or uses that moniker to try and get themselves over you know to try and influence people to try and like build this star it doesn't have that weight anymore if you're associated with most haunted you're not necessarily going to have that credibility because if you type in most haunted you will get a dozen to, to two dozen stories about how they fake stuff it's very rare you'll ever see something where they had actual footage or actual evidence. And the sad thing is, right, because I do appreciate how hard that team worked and what they were trying to do in terms of entertainment value. If they got genuine paranormal footage logged and recorded, 
no one is going to believe them. No, not not anymore. Not and anymore. That, that, and that's the thing I often say to people. You know, if you're if you're with a partner, you know, you're married to someone. If they cheat on you or lie to you, would you ever trust them again? No. Yet most haunted, they they run events across the country every weekend and and hundreds of hundreds of people go with them and i have to think but why you know once bitten twice shy surely you must be in the back of your mind are they faking some of this stuff but again it's the entertainment factor you're meeting people that's what it is they're relying on, the on tv that, yeah, yeah yeah it's a brand it's, it's a famous brand it's a touring company and tv show and you can go to a place and a venue and recognize people and have a few thrills and scares and i don't think anyone necessarily goes there expecting paranormal scientific research it's just for you know it's for shits and giggles part of my french investigators come to me and they think that an investigation is going out with a night vision camera shouting show yourself show yourself <laughs> yeah. you know yeah. and i don't do investigations anymore i've never charged for an investigation that's no reflection on anyone who does i never needed to the money i had for my books I was able to pay for some locations and invite people along for the experience as a collective to do some research, to see what we could come up with. It wasn't about a commercial thing. It was about a study. And I went on an investigation in 2002, 2003. I paid £40. Me and a friend went and I caught one of the team throwing a chair at us in the dark. Oh, wow. I, I filmed it on night vision. That is like wrestling. <laughs> and I said to him, what are you doing? And he was stunned. He was absolutely stunned. And he said to me, I must have been possessed by oh, a mischievous well, yeah. witch. And I had a chat and it was the same formula as you said. It was a psychic medium and they had this like a pattern of how they yeah. do stuff. Yeah. And I also caught a girl flicking stones at the window and stuff. So I had a chat with him at the end. I said, look, guys, I'm not going to call you out on this in terms of, you know, I'm not going to expose you. But Why? Why throw a chair at us? Why flick stones? Why do this? And the guy said, and this is exactly what you said. He said, because it would be boring. Nothing would happen. We can't make stuff happen. And he said, stuff does happen, but we can't guarantee it will. So we need people to talk about what's happening. And I thought, wow. fair dues. But I like, just say, like, investigations are boring. You know, you're there, as you said, you're trying to stay awake. You feel ill from the energy drink. Someone's stomach goes or somebody makes a weird noise. And you're like, oh, my God, what's that? And you've got such a heightened awareness. The power yeah. of suggestion is running wild. Everything is a ghost. Everything is paranormal. And I don't do it anymore. I just do the one-to-ones. Very fascinating insight you have there. And, and I totally agree with that. Now, you have a theory that spirits and other paranormal entities, such as Bigfoot and aliens, are all operating on different frequencies outside of the visible light that as humans can't access. Could you share more to us about how this works? This is something that I've been bandying around for a while, and it's it's not something I came up with. It's not an original concept, really. I've just kind of taken it and and, and focused it on my my um, my particular research, which is paranormal. And when I began to look into the the nature of reality and and how we perceive the world that's around us and what what the world actually is, um, I did a bit of research, and, and it became apparent that you know as a, as a human species we see very little of of what's actually around us. So we, what we call visible light, which is a small sliver of the light spectrum, equates to roughly 0.05%. So we can, you know, just let that sink in. We can see 0.05% of the light spectrum. 
And that's what we call visible light. Now, either side of us, we have infrared, we have ultraviolet, we have X-ray, we have microwave, etc. That's what equates for the rest of the 99.95%. So what's existing in that 99.95% that we can't see or interact with? Yeah. And that got me thinking, is it possible that that's where this paranormal phenomena is existing in you know, outside of our frequency range, so to speak? And I started to come up, you know, I remember trying to explain this to people and they were looking at me like I was talking gobbledygook. They didn't have a clue what I was saying. So I tried to come up with an, an, an analogy to kind of not dumb it down because that, that that's not very nice but just to try and explain it easier yeah and I, I i came up with a radio analogy so if you're listening to radio one it doesn't mean that radio two doesn't exist it's just that your radio or for the benefit of this our brain isn't tuned into radio two it's still there it's in the ether it's floating around you it's literally just waiting for you to turn the dial tune into that frequency and then you can listen to it once you do that that doesn't mean that radio one no longer exists it's still there you're just not tuning into it again now what happens to quite frequently is if you're driving down the road in the car you're listening to the radio and you might get two radio stations intermingle with each other some you know there's, there's, there's a mistake across frequencies you hear two songs at once and then it fixes itself and you go back to listening to the radio station you were before now i think that that's what happens when people see a ghost or when people see a Bigfoot, or when people see a UFO. I think what's happening is the frequencies are crossing paths, just as we spoke of earlier with the, um, yeah. the, the, the timelines. The frequencies are crossing paths, and for the briefest of seconds, you're tuning into to, to both stations at the same time. And I think that that's what mediums can do. I think mediums have the ability to, almost like a digital radio, they can tune into anything they want, and they can listen to two or three songs at the same time. And what... I think what I think is the case is it's almost like a block of flats. So if we're living on one floor, you'll have Bigfoot that lives above you. You'll have the ghosts that are living below you. You have um, aliens on the top floor somewhere. And you know that they're there because you hear them moving around every now and then. You know, they're playing the music a bit too loud. They're shuffling the furniture around. You catch a glimpse of them in the elevator. You cross paths in the corridor. But ultimately, you can't interact with them because they're living on a different floor to you. And that's what's happening here. So they're living on their own frequency wavelength and are outside of our perception. Now, as a consciousness, which we all are, we're just collective consciousness. As consciousness, we can experience this. But the biological vessel with which our consciousness is trapped within, which is what enables us to experience this five sense reality, it prevents our consciousness from experiencing these frequencies because our eyes can only see to a certain um, frequency. Our ears can only hear to a certain frequency. Therefore, it's preventing our consciousness from truly experiencing the world as it really is and i think when we are talking to a ghost or a spirit what we are talking to is a point of attention a, a consciousness that is able to flip between frequencies because it doesn't have the constraints of a biological vessel yeah so you know we we, we i'm called kieran you're called gavin but that what what we look at in the mirror that's not kieran that's not gavin that's that's just the biological vessel the consciousness inside you is kieran you know, and, 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 and people often get bogged down with, you know, we all know what I need to look like this and I need to be, no, 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 forget that. You know, it's what's inside. It's the consciousness, call it consciousness, a spirit, a soul, whatever. It's the same thing. And I think once we're free of this biological vessel, I think we can we can move between frequencies and we can interact with all of these phenomena. So when people say, um, oh, well, Bigfoot walked behind a tree, but he didn't come out the other side. 
Well, I think he did come out the other side. But by that point, the right, the frequencies had fixed themselves and you were no longer tuned into it. So he was there. When people say a UFO was in the sky, it just vanished before my eyes. It didn't vanish. The frequency that's within your brain, the manipulation within your brain corrected itself and you were back to seeing what your biological vessel allows you to see. And if that's the case, then that would mean that aliens aren't interplanetary, but they're actually interdimensional. But that's a completely different show <laughs> yeah. to talk about. Um, so it got me thinking about this, and I got thinking about, you know, where are things existing, and what can I do to investigate this? You know, how, how can I begin to look into this? And people are already doing it. You know, people are using things such as infrared cameras because it allows you to see into that field. Uh, people are using ultraviolet torches because it allows you to see, you know, if you've got an ultraviolet torch, just please don't put it in your kitchen because your wife will lose uh, lose her mind at the stains that she couldn't see before <laughs> that she can now see. Um, but it just goes to show, you know, those things are always there. That stain is always on your kitchen counter, but you just can't see it because your eyes cannot see it. So I started looking at how can we do things. So one experiment we did was we flooded this room with uh, EMF. We had a couple of EMF generators and we flooded high, high EMF, low EMF, and we flooded this room with EMF. And we had a radio scanner. So we were um, every now and then we were tuning into these different frequencies to see if we could pick anything up. And we had the classic EMF meter and we had a, a REM pod. And nothing happened. It was, you know, as we've spoke of, it was really boring. 15, 20 minutes had passed and I was ready to just, you know, call it quits, move on. So I went and turned everything off, turned all the emitters off. And, and as we were getting ready to leave, the EMF meter shot right up to red. The REM pod started going absolutely crazy. And you could almost feel this energy in the room all of a sudden. And I think what happened was we were blocking this particular spirit or spirits from interacting with us because we were flooding the room with frequencies that they couldn't interact on. And the second we'd emptied the room of these frequencies, it's almost like they could get through the door now and they could come and talk to us on their own terms, on their own frequency. And it was just interesting that the second we emptied the room of, of, of frequencies, it started to interact with us. And that kind of made me think, oh, maybe I'm on the right path here. Maybe this, is, maybe this is correct. Another incident was we were in a room and we heard a growl and the team next door to us were recording an EVP and they recorded um, someone saying hello. And I remember thinking, that's interesting. And we ran the times and it turns out that the growl that we'd heard happened at the same time that they'd heard or recorded hello. So what happened oh. there? was the recording, which can pick up things that the human ear can't hear, you know, outside of our range, had picked up that growl, deciphered it, decoded it, and made it into the word hello. The human ear, which couldn't tune into those frequencies, could only hear a growl. Because ultimately, that's what I'm doing now. When I talk to you, I'm basically just barking at you. It's just a bunch of vibrational noise that my vocal cords are making. It's just that your brain has been manipulated into decoding those vibrational frequencies into words. So yeah. you, hear, you hear language. What we heard there was the very raw the very lowest form of that vibration and i think that was the growl now we thought it was evil it didn't sound very nice it sounded quite animalistic and we you know we were a little bit scared but when you listen to the hello on the recording it's as innocent as you like it's a hello and it's like wow so that's actually what it was saying and therefore it made me think we need to be careful when we're hearing things are we actually hearing what they're trying to say, what they're trying to communicate with us when we see things? Is that actually what they're trying to show us? Or is the constraints of our biological vessel preventing us from seeing or hearing what they actually want us to see or hear? 
And that's what's forced me down this route of the certain techniques that we're doing and, and, and my theory and, and things like that. So it's um, it's quite deep and we could probably have a, a, a lengthy discussion on it. it. It's certainly interesting and it's certainly a different way of looking at, at paranormal investigating. Of course, it's fascinating. And there's a rumour out there and... I haven't got a lot of evidence to cement this. Maybe you have, but it was brought to me by another investigator that there's a device that can actually, you know, like like a thermal imager, but a device that can actually see broadband or as they call it in America, Wi-Fi. Yeah. And it can actually show this, how it looks, what the waves of the broadband, what the Wi-Fi look, look like. Yeah. And, and one of the people using this piece of kit claims that within the Wi-Fi, within the broadband waves, there's solid shapes moving. I could believe that because that's, I mean, I've not heard of this device, by the way. I'm going to have to go look at that. That's basically what I what I described, that, you know, they're operating on all these frequencies. But when you look at how we're being bombarded with things such as 3G, 4G, 5G, um, I know you mentioned about that that, that, that tower that was built near your house and, and, and things like that. All these things are, are, are manipulating our mind and bombarding our bodies. And it's preventing us from being able to tune into the natural frequencies that are around us. You know, Earth, for example, vibrates at its own natural frequency. But we're almost being bombarded with all these other unnatural frequencies, such as EMF from Wi-Fi, phone, mobile phones, um, charging your phone next to you, reading iPads in bed, things like that. They're all having a negative effect on us, and they're preventing us from tuning into natural frequencies, which is where I believe these spirits and other paranormal phenomena are operating. And one thing that I've posed lately is that it's possible that what we're seeing when we see a UFO or a Bigfoot or a ghost or anything that's paranormal, I believe that it, that we're all seeing the same phenomena. So if you were to strip away the veil of the world as we see it and get right down to the coding of the universe, what we're seeing when we see these paranormal phenomena is the same thing. It's exactly the same thing. However, each individual is manifesting it in their own way. So we're basically thought processing it and making it a ghost or we're processing it and making it a bigfoot because isn't it interesting that anyone that's religious will always see the virgin mary always and if you want to go out and look for bigfoot you will always see a bigfoot and most ghost hunters have always seen a ghost and i think that they are seeing these things but what they're seeing is exactly the same as each other but they're just manifesting it in their own way and isn't that interesting? That is fascinating. You could lead us down so many rabbit holes, Kieran. <laughs> it's amazing. Just before we go into the next question, I just want to say to everyone, if this is your first time listening to Kieran Woodhouse, okay, guess what? I've got a wonderful surprise for you. Not only does he have a book, which is one of the best ghost hunting books out there, it's called An Introduction to Paranormal Investigation by Kieran Woodhouse. It's on Kindle, it's available on Amazon, and is a fantastic book. You will learn so much from reading this right but not only that this gentleman right we've gone down the rabbit hole a little bit tonight he's got his own podcast as well the paranormal paradigm podcast so after this interview go and check out kieran's podcast if you love his information the way he thinks the way he investigates there is so much that kieran has presented and this guy i'm telling you now i'm calling it now kieran he's doing a lot of hard work he will be britain's 
number one paranormal investigator. This is the guy to watch. This is the guy to learn from. This guy is going places. So, Kieran, what equipment do you use on investigations and what evidence have you caught using them other than the ones we spoke about earlier? Also, you said that you might have some skepticism towards some pieces of equipment or techniques. Could you give us a bit more insight into that? My skepticism kind of travels throughout the whole thing. So I, I quite often, when I'm giving presentations, I quite often have people interrupt me and say, do you actually believe in God? ghosts you know because i come across as quite skeptical and I, of course i do you know i've had experiences that i can't explain but what i do is i i go to every single investigation with the notion of disproving ghosts because if you go with the intention of proving ghosts you will every single time because every noise you hear that's a ghost every shadow you see that's a ghost how easy is it to do that if you go with the notion of disproving it you're going to look at it from a more logical point of view, from a more scientific point of view. And therefore, if you see a shadow, you're going to try and debunk it. And 99.9% of the time, you can. Your car's driven past the window and it's cast yeah. a shadow. Or, you know, as we mentioned earlier, someone's belly was grumbling. That's what you heard. But there is the 0.01% time where you will catch something. You will get an EVP. You will get a shadow. You will get, you will be touched. You will hear a voice. And that it's that percentage, tiny percentage of time that keeps you going back for more because now you want to hear at two footsteps you want to see two shadows and it's very addictive and it keeps you going back and i often say when we talk about equipment the best piece of equipment you can use is the human body yeah. because you can trust yourself all these pieces of equipment that we use they're battery operated they're influenced by mobile phones they can be influenced by faulty fuse boxes by faulty wiring things like that you know yourself you know what you've seen you know what you haven't seen you can lie to yourself you can tell yourself that you saw or something that you didn't but deep down you know that you're lying and therefore the only thing that you can really truly trust is yourself and that's what makes ghost hunting such a personal experience i've been stood in a room with a guy next to me who was sworn blind that he's seeing a shadow right in front of him moving past the doorway i'm stood next to him not seeing a thing can't see anything does that mean he's lying? Absolutely not. It means he's having an experience that I'm not. Now, if he is lying, only he knows that and he has to sleep with that. That's his decision. But if he's telling the truth, and most of the time I think these people are, I think they are experiencing these things. If they're telling the truth, it just means that they're able to tune into a particular frequency that I can't at that moment in time. And I think that's possible. For example, my wife doesn't have a digital radio in her car, so she can't listen to the radio stations that I can listen to. Just to, to simplify it. Yeah. And I think that's what's happening. They're seeing something. Just because I can't see it, and I've been there when this has happened, people will call them a liar. They'll rubbish them. Ah, oh, it's all rubbish. You're talking rubbish. There's nothing there. And sometimes you can see the hurt on these people's faces. I hate that because it's such a personal experience is ghost hunting. And I think sometimes when you go with these groups or when you use certain pieces of equipment, it can really take away from that. It can take the personal away from it. It can it can strip it right down. And, and sometimes it becomes too methodical. It becomes too laborious of, 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 a, of, a, of a chore almost. So when you ask what equipment we use, we use the, the, you know, the, the ones that everybody else uses, the EMF meter. Now, an EMF meter, a K2 meter, was originally used for faulty wiring in a house, for leaky microwaves, for things like that. Until someone someday said, oh, I think we could use this to detect ghosts. And people see a vet fielding using it, so they use it. They go out, they buy it at an inflated price now. I mean, you could get these things like a tenner back in the day. Yeah. I saw one on Amazon for £45. 
because it has ghost hunting on the back of it. And and this is what's happened. You know, we talk about the groups that have increased prices. It happens with equipment as well. So a REM pod or a radiating electromagnetism pod is similar to a K2 meter. But instead of detecting fluctuations in the surrounding EMF, it produces its own EMF and detects any disturbances within that. And that's why I love it, because it can be trusted a little bit more than an EMF meter. Now, you've heard of the theremin, the instrument that people used to play where they could move their hand close to it and it would make a noise. Very good for science fiction movies. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Uh, If anyone doesn't know what a REM pod is, that is essentially what this is. So it produces its own EMF field, and if you disturb that field, it makes a noise. And the closer you get to the antenna, the louder it gets. And it's a great piece of equipment. I absolutely love it. I mean, we've had several in a room lined up, and each one has gone off in turn as if something was walking up the room past these, these, these pieces of equipment. And it's when you can do that, that you know it kind of makes you think actually maybe there was something going on there uh, again unfortunately they cost quite a lot of money if you want a good one you're probably talking in excess of 100 200 pounds for, for one of these things so they're not cheap but they are a good piece of equipment we use basic things such as laser grid pens so it's a laser pen with a cap on the end that splits the laser into multiple dots you shine it on a large flat surface like a wall and it allows you to see shadows moving across the room a lot easier so we tend to set a camera up film it for an hour while we go away and do other things we review the footage and the things you see are, are phenomenal you know you can see human shaped shadows moving through the grid pen and it just enables you to see shadows a little bit more so that's a that's a good piece of equipment and there, there are numerous pieces of equipment that, that people will be familiar with um, to use to this day i still maintain that the best piece is the human body yeah most definitely It'd be great if we could have a chip in our brain that could record what we're seeing and what we're feeling and what we're I think hearing google will probably be there soon <laughs> here we go sign me up for that i'm not entirely sure people would want to see what i what i see and and what i think and uh, you know especially after writing about like ghost sex or violence some some very dark things in my mind i think that anybody out there people out there if you're in a paranormal team or you're looking to start up a team i'd certainly read an introduction to paranormal investigation because it just gives you the tools and the tips and the advice to just go out there and make it more rewarding for yourself because i know from personal experience from people i speak to if you just go out with a night vision camera shout and show yourself it's just going to be a dull experience and after an hour or two you're just going to go home right if you take on board what kieran is saying Buy his book, An Introduction to Paranormal Investigation. Read through it based on his experiences, his research, and slowly but surely start to build up your your toolbox with your paranormal kit and methodology. You will find this ultimately more rewarding. And guess what? You might capture some evidence that makes a difference to the paranormal field. An introduction to paranormal investigation. It's perfect. Whether you've been in the field for 20 years, you might learn something new. But if you're thinking of starting up, this is a great book. It will get you motivated to be the very best paranormal investigator you can. One of the things that really, really interested me was how can what people eat and drink prior to or on an investigation affect their perception? And what are they seeing feeling? Because I know I used to just tank up on energy drinks and I was seeing all kinds of berserk stuff. <laughs> well, the first thing I would say is never, ever eat a curry before an investigation. That is a <laughs> big, from personal experience, that is a big no-no. But it's really... Energy drinks are one of the worst things that you, you, you can choose to, to consume. What I tend to do is I'm anybody that knows me, I am absolutely not a monk. You know, I don't I don't live a healthy lifestyle, really. I, 
I drink, I, I, eat, I eat what I want and, and, and things like that. But I tend to, whenever there's an investigation coming up, I'll have a 24-hour period where I, I, I try and watch what I eat and watch what I consume in terms of drink. And the reason is because it can have a huge impact on how you feel and how you perceive things. So if you down two or three Red Bulls, and I see people do this all the time, they come on an investigation, they think, oh, I'm going to be up till three or four in the morning, I need to stay awake. So they start downing these Red Bulls. What they do is they put you onto a massive high and then they put you onto a massive low really quick. And what they can do is it can give you heart palpitations, so your heart begins to race, they can give you migraines, they can give people the sweats, yeah. people headaches, all this kind of thing. And what people will do is they will accredit that to paranormal. Yeah. So someone will go, oh, my heart's racing or, oh, you know, I, I feel like, you know, something's pressing on my chest. And it's nothing to do with a ghost. It's just the fact that you've consumed two Red Bulls in the space of half hour and you've probably had one week's allowance of caffeine in, in, in one hour. People also go and eat huge amounts of chocolate, sugary sweets, things like that, because they believe it's going to keep them awake. And they're right. You know, it will keep you awake, but it will also make you feel as you say, you know, you used to you felt rubbish because of the amount of energy drinks that you drank. So it, the perception that you're having of your of your, the location that you're investigating is completely different. Just like if you got drunk, if you got drunk and went and investigated, you'd see things that were not there, or you'd experience things that were not there. And it's because of what what you've put in your body. And it's the same with food, really, and non-alcoholic drinks. I just I just ask people to make sure. If they're coming on an investigation with us, they don't drink alcohol. They don't try not to bring energy drinks. If they do, make sure they're more herbal, more natural. Uh, there's a drink called Purdy's, which is great. I get it from Tesco. Yeah, I know it's the like, one. Yeah, it's like a healthy version of, of, of Red Bull. I, I tend to, to stick to that. Uh, and I do have a few sweets. I'm not going to lie. I have a, a, a couple of chewits or a couple of chewies, you know, to, to have while I'm walking around. But that's mainly just to kind of something to focus on you know while i'm sat in the dark you really need to be careful what you eat and what you drink because it will massively massively impact on the night that you have you know you could you could eat and drink a particular thing go and do an investigation and the next night you could go and do exactly the same investigation but if you ate and drank something differently i guarantee you would have a completely different night you tank up on energy drinks jaffa cakes sweets and by midnight you're just wired you yeah. might as well have just done a load of speed and you're just wired <laughs> off your nuts and then about two in the morning yeah, you're you're shivering sleep. yeah you've got the shivering <laughs> you're on a come down and diet's important you don't want somebody farting and then going oh it's the it's spirit of a mischievous witch <laughs> You know, and it's good. You know, these things sound very common sense, but I bet a lot of investigators listening now, they're like, ah, yeah, actually, uh, I've done that and I'll be more mindful of that. So how can people contact you? Where can they read an introduction to paranormal investigation? How can they listen to more from you? Tell us where people can go and find out more about Kieran Woodhouse. Well, the, the Paranormal Paradigm podcast has a Facebook page. So facebook.com forward slash the paranormal paradigm. If you head over there, like the page, ask to join the group, I'll get you in. And it's really just a place where you can discuss what you want about paranormal. And we post the links to our podcast, which goes out once every two weeks. We interview people about ghosts, about Bigfoot, about aliens, about anything, really. We're also on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, all Anchor, all the usual uh, podcast places. So you can reach me through there. I always encourage people to just add me on Facebook. You know, if you come to uh, Kieran Woodhouse, you can find me. That If they want to contact me, they can email me 
kieran.woodhouse at gmail.com. I absolutely encourage people to do so. Uh, I love meeting new people, talking to new people, hearing their experiences. If anyone has anywhere they'd like us to come and investigate or to come and see, please let me know. I'd be massively open to doing so. Uh, And the book, it's on Amazon. You can get it on Kindle. You can get it paperback or contact me if you'd like a signed copy. I don't mind posting it. I've shipped copies to Finland and Germany, to America. So I don't mind posting any out to you. Just let me know what you want me to sign it with. Or I think you can get it through like Barnes and Noble and stuff like that on an ebook as well. Yeah, so I'm available anywhere really. Just come and talk to me. Come and tell me your experiences, and I'd love that. Now we were talking earlier before we started recording about you like to do the convention circuit. You like to do talks. You like to meet groups. And what I'd like to say, and this is a personal endorsement for Kieran, there are so many paranormal investigators. And they're just recycling the same information that they've done for five, ten years. They're just trying to stay relevant. You know, they're just trying to keep out there. They're just trying to keep getting booked on gigs, right? If Kieran is in your area, go and see him. Look at what he talked about tonight. And he's evolving and adapting these ideas. He's a new kid on the block, right? And he's taking what we know and turning it upside down and inside out. And he's coming up with some awesome stuff. I'm telling you now, Kieran will be Britain's number one paranormal investigator very, very soon. So if you're another radio show, another podcast, you book a convention, get in touch with Kieran. Have you got any speaking engagements lined up? Uh, Yeah, so I've got one left booked for this year so far, and that's at Bristol Truth Juice. So I'll be down in Bristol on the 27th of November. I think it's a Wednesday night. Starts at 7.30. If you go onto the Truth Juice website, you can find all the details. And then next year I've started booking, so I've got a couple already booked for next year one of them's at east anglia ufo ea ufo which is over near cambridge way i've got talks galore like i say if anyone contacts me i can tell them where i'm talking please do come and see me i'm happy to sit and have a chat with you guys i'm loving meeting new people as you say i'm quite new i mean i literally my first talk was can't be far off a year ago maybe just a little less than a year ago was my first public appearance and since that time my books come out i've done more talking engagements i've started my podcast so despite having a baby i've actually when i think about it kind of got a lot done this year and (laughs) uh so i hope to be able to to carry that on through to next year i've got a new book lined up that i'm going to start on in the in the new year and that's roughly titled the experience experiences of a paranormal investigator and i'm going to focus more on experiences that can be gained from the equipment that we use and the idea is that if somebody starts and reads my my new book the, the book that's just out now an introduction if they read that because they're just getting into the field i almost want them to grow with me and i want them to read my next book the experiences and to say oh yeah that's what i found and i had that and i had this and to almost grow with me with their you know with their newfound interest and almost have a similar timeline that that would be really great uh, and that's the plan so there's there's hopefully going to be a series of, of, of these books and, and the talks will come off the back of that as well um so yeah it's great phenomenal with the podcast the paranormal paradigm podcast you interviewed a very dear friend of mine ron mayer about his bigfoot singularity book which was it's just a fascinating book and you did an incredible job of of interviewing him what have you got coming up on the paranormal paradigm podcast you got any guests scheduled uh, well, we were due to have a video podcast come out this 
Monday. Unfortunately, the night we were going to record this week, my wife had a car crash. And, oh my god! Yeah, she I know. Okay? She's fine. Um, the baby's fine. It's oh. uh, yeah, just yeah, a bit shook up. So that never happened. Um, so we're going to record it Monday, probably now, and release it Tuesday or Wednesday. So it's only going to be a, a couple of days delayed. But we we hate that. You know, we hate telling people that it's going to be out on a date and have to change it. Um, but you know, we we can't help it. But it's just going to be. Uh, people have requested a video podcast, so we're going to do a video podcast where it's just me and ben sitting talking about our experiences that we found on investigations because that's what the listeners want so we're going to do that we've got another one of your guys actually going to be lined up for a november record susan plunkett who's going to be talking about her fifth dimensional uh, multi-dimensional <laughs> research which i find fascinating by the way i can't wait for that interview with susan susan is really doing the rounds now you know i'm talking the big big shows she did an interview for me a couple of weeks ago you know fifth dimension and set in the fifth dimension and it is blown minds you with your brain and the way you approach things you are going to have an incredible interview with susan and trust me right she'll answer anything so just go for gold okay. on that one <laughs> go for gold yeah so she's she's coming up she'll be coming on probably late november and we've got we did a, uh, an episode with melissa martel who hosts the secret door podcast she came on to talk about uh, green ladies and sightings in the UK. Unfortunately, we lost the audio to it and we had to delete the episode. So we'll be re-recording an episode with Melissa um, to, to, to talk about green ladies and, and, and spirits at UK stately homes and, and, and manor houses and things like that. It's quite an interesting discussion. So, yeah, we're, we're constantly getting new people. If anyone wants to come on the show, just let, let us know. If you know of anyone that wants to come on the show, put us in touch with whoever you guys um, would like to hear on the show. And we're I think we're only seven episodes in, so we're absolutely new kids on the block. But uh, we've gained quite a loyal following already and, and, and we're doing pretty well. Doing superb. And I will be putting you in touch with David J. Moore, the author of Evolutionary yes. Metaphors and his Dudley Dorito sighting that just changed his life in the most profound way. You guys, I reckon you guys will probably do like about an eight hour show and it's going to be <laughs> the fastest eight hours of anyone's life. It will snap the elasticity of comprehension when you two speaking together is going to be fantastic what i always do at the end is i ask our guests to leave our listeners with a final thought just something to leave them with so over to you kieran i think my final thought is to go out stay safe when you're investigating of course and just make it a very very personal experience don't copy what you see on tv don't copy what you see other investigators doing when you've gone with them make it your own thing and if you come up with a crazy theory that, you know, sounds really out there, but it doesn't fit in with what the mainstream are telling you, go with it. Because it could be the next best piece of evidence, the next best theory that we've got, and it could change the face of paranormal investigating. You heard it, guys. That's Kieran Woodhouse, author of An Introduction to Paranormal Investigation. Go out and read it. My best to your wife and your little baby. My love to you and them. And thank you so much for one of the most engaging interviews I've ever had the pleasure of conducting. Thank you, Kieran. Thank you, Gav. It's been a pleasure. There we have it. An incredible interview from Kieran Woodhouse. Someone I think we can all agree on will be quite the force in the paranormal field of study. His thoughts on what resides in the spectrum of the unseen makes me think of how my cat and dog stare into space sometimes, sometimes reacting to something we cannot see. Are they seeing something beyond our sensory capability? Do your pets have the same behaviours? Let me know. 
Kieran's book, An Introduction to Paranormal Investigation, is superb. It motivated me to want to go back out into the field of investigation. Read An Introduction to Paranormal Investigation and you will feel the same way. It is a superb read. I look forward to having Kieran Woodhouse back on the show and tumbling down the rabbit hole once again. If you want more paranormal knowledge and did you know there's a free digital paranormal magazine out there for you yes free for you no subscription no sign up just hundreds of free paranormal articles for you across four free editions so visit www.theparanormalchronicles.com forward slash magazine to start reading today so no sign up no bs just free reading so get your free digital magazine at www.theparanormalchronicles.com forward slash magazine. Right, one of our followers has won a signed copy of the best-selling Haunted Horror of Haverford West by yours truly. Thank you to Sick Fife and Books for making this possible. If you're a new listener, then press follow now, as it could be your name I read out next month. So, the winner of this month's prize draw is Sal Phil 69 the winner of Haunted Horror of Haverford West is Sal Phil 69. So if Sal Phil 69 could please contact us either through our The Paranormal Chronicles Facebook or Instagram accounts or email paranormalchronicles at aol.com so we can post your copy. Congratulations Sal Phil 69 and thank you to everyone that follows. There are more prize draws for books and Amazon vouchers coming up so keep following new listeners press follow now and explore and download our incredible archive of paranormal experiences research and eyewitness accounts let me leave you with this as we approach the end of the year and the holiday season i think of all the people that are alone of those suffering from depression grief and sadness and it's important that every single person that listens to this show knows that your life is important your life matters and people do care for you it is together that we explore the unknown, and please know that every time I upload an episode, I think of all of you with such great appreciation. I, as someone with bipolar, someone that suffers with suicidal depression, places so much value on all of you. Just knowing, wherever you are, out there in the world, that we have connected. You, me, we are never alone, and your life matters. Thank you for listening. I am GL Davis, and this has been the Paranormal Chronicles Podcast. Sleep well.